You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. <laughs> Everybody's got a price, it's the million dollar man. <laughs> Podcast in demand. Everybody's got a price, million dollar man. Everybody's got a price, million dollar man. Everybody's got a pod, it's the million dollar What's up, everybody? It's Marcus D'Angelo, and we are back for another episode of Everybody's Got a Pod. And of course, I could not do it without the Hall of Famer himself, the master of the million dollar dream, Ted DiBiase. <laughs> Ted, what's going on, man? Hey, Marcus, it's you, buddy. Looking forward to uh, today and whatever you got for me. <laughs> uh, I've, I've cooked up something pretty special with the help of our uh, friends on social media. Um, it's our 10th edition of Ask Ted Anything today, where we put the listeners in charge of the show. And cool. Let them ask you questions. Yeah, it should be fun. So, guys, please keep your questions rolling in. You can post them to Ted's social media, at MDM Ted DiBiase on all platforms. How about the show's social media? That would work, too, at Ted DiBiase Pod. Or a lot of folks like to send me private messages on Twitter to make sure that their questions get asked. You, you can feel free to do that. You can reach me at Marcus P. D'Angelo on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it. As always, we will continue to build these questions up and roll the ones that we miss over from episode to episode. So you've got to catch the next episode if you want to see if your question got asked, which is a way that I get people to tune back in again, Ted. So, <laughs> that's my yeah. tactic. Uh, before Good. we jump in, I need to remind you guys to get over to our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash at everybody's got a pod and get subscribed right now. You know, we've got tons of great clips. We have full episodes over there. And now we have two Hall of Famers sharing that page. Jim Duggan, as I've mentioned, is part of the team. We do a bi-monthly podcast exclusively on our YouTube channel called The Hacks Hour. Also, Jim provides videos of his day-to-day -day life, and earlier this week, we just posted a video of Jim showing you his Hacksaw's Green Chili Slow Cooker Recipe. So, guys, uh, it's something else, and it looks delicious. So I'd like to see that. <laughs> <laughs> Dad, I'll send you the link, because uh, he and Deborah cook up some... Hacksaw uh, Jim Duggan, the cook? Are you kidding me? <laughs> right. And it looks delicious. Uh, he says it smells amazing, so I think I'm going to do it myself. Yeah. Um, also, guys, Ted and I have YouTube exclusive clips there that we put up once a week, and these are stories you are not going to hear on the show. So get over there, get subscribed, support our show, and enjoy some great content. It's YouTube.com slash at Everybody's Got a Pod. All right, man, you ready to jump into these? I'm ready. Let's go. Fire, fire when ready. <laughs> All right, here we go. First up, we've got Clint Allerton, who asks, when you did your vignettes, did you have a script to go by? Such as when you received your million-dollar belt, you went way over the top with describing the belt. It was awesome. Virgil was in the background, not even cracking a smile, which made it even better. Anyways, did anyone tell you what to say, or was it all from the hip? You know, uh, the way I always did everything is kind of like, uh, <clears throat> because everything became so scripted. I said, you know, you can give me the script, but I'm not going to, you know, I, you know I'm going to read the script to give me the basic idea of what you want here, but I'm going to do it my way. It's going to, it's going to come out and it's going to sound like the million dollar man as everybody knew me. And so that's usually the way I, I did things like that. And I never had any problem with it. So yeah, it's kind of like, uh, uh, you know, they gave me an idea and, and, 
and they told me again, you know, be way over the top about describing how beautiful the the belt was and all that stuff. And I think I did a pretty good job. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's crazy to see that stuff because you know we hear about actors who like even they, you know, if anything goes wrong, they they want their script to be just so and you know no real ability to to improvise but here you are you know you're just a, a wrestler but you guys are entertainers yeah. and you know yeah. you can you can take it to the next level it's pretty incredible stuff well that's one of the things that i you know vince uh liked about me you know he says he says ted you're very articulate you know he says you come across you know very well and so that's that's a gift that's just a gift from doing interviews you know the old school way for so long it's like um you know in the body of, of wrestling it's, it's okay what what's what's i would say okay what are, what are the people seeing that what's the last thing that people saw in 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 the arena and you know now oh you know kind of like uh just as as an example let's say that you know uh I, i'm having a match like with jake and, you know, I keep sliding out of the ring and, you know, leaving and rolling back in to break the count, you know, and then, uh, you know, and uh, and then basically uh, and maybe just even walking away and they count me out. So Jake wins, but he wins by what? By default. Right. Mm -hmm. So Jake then will come back and he says, OK, DiBiase. You know, you ran last time like a dog. He says, but this time you're not going to be able to run, run because there's going to be a cage up around the ring. You know, and of course, being the heel that I am, I rant and rave and throw a fit about that because that's the last thing I want, right? You know, and uh, so there's, there's, that gives you an idea. And then I would just, I would just roll with that. And anyway. And week to week, yeah, you can make that part of your story and part of your uh, your promos. And what else is cool, you know, for me as I go back and watch all of your footage for research and stuff, it's interesting because you know I grew up on the Million Dollar Man, like so many other fans, and yeah. you know I got I got to see you as as uh, as everybody calls it a chicken shit heel, where where it's like you know yeah. you're begging off, and I I saw that version of Ted DiBiase. Now, yeah. as I'm getting to watch your stuff in Georgia and Mid-South, I'm like, uh, so Ted wasn't always the chicken shit heel. Sometimes you were the badass heel. And it was pretty funny. <laughs> <fun. laughs> yeah. But, but here, here's the thing. When, when you're the chicken shit heel, it never ends. It's, it's like the people never get tired of seeing somebody kick your ass. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because, well, that's just it. You know, it's kind of like, like a bully. You know, that's, that's what I was. I was like a bully. You know, it's like I tell my, I told my boys when they were very young, I said, you're going to run into people in life. And he says, you're going to, and I went, I said, 99% of all the bullies you see are cowards. Yep. And he says, they talk real, real big. But if you go ahead and confront them and tell them, okay, you know what? You want a piece of me? Let's go. Then you, then they start backing down because they really don't want to go. They just want to appear to be what they are. And so, and it's like, and my dad said that too. He says, and, and, and he said, son, here's the deal. If, you know, a lot of times they'll just back down. If they don't back down and you get in a fight, you'll either win the fight or you may, or you might get your butt kicked. He says, but that bully's never going to bother you again. And I said, why? He says, because he knows you're willing to fight. Yep. There it is.
But it is funny, uh, you know, because uh, I, I th- and I think you've talked about this before on the show where you said, like, the chicken shit heel, nobody's ever going to like a chicken shit heel. They're always going to be a heel. Nobody nobody's wants to root for that guy. But when you're a badass heel, it's like I saw that promo where you were talking to Tommy Rich about being Mr. R. And you said, not only am I, am I going to take that mask off, I'm going to take your head off with it. When I heard that line, I was like, that's a pretty cool line. Like, I like this guy. I don't yeah. care that he's mean. He's fun. <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and that's how, like, Stone Cold got over so yeah it's it's interesting. Well, and, and and that that's that's the deal and you know like stone cold was i mean he was a kick-ass heel mm-hmm. but again if you're a kick-ass this is this is the truth if you, you're a kick-ass heel ultimately you're going to be a baby face because everybody loves a tough guy Everybody loves somebody who, you know, you know, uh, you know, stands up for what they believe and, and, and doesn't back down from anything. And so, you you know, you might start off being a bully, but, but again, if you're, if you're the chicken shit heel, then, you know, like nobody, nobody gets tired of seeing that guy get his ass kicked. But when you're like the stone cold, you know, kind of heel, like, you know, uh, you know, you, you talk big and you back it up. Well, that again, and what happened to Stone Cold? Eventually, the the fans turned him babyface. Yep. So the and fans will never the fans will never turn you if you're you know being a coward and backing off all the time. No, no. I like it. I like it. <laughs> uh, Alex, and that's the best kind of heel to be. It really is. I absolutely agree. Uh, well, you know, Stone Cold made an awful lot of money after being the uh, after being the badass heel, but I don't think he was ever really a heel to begin with. If you kind of look back at it, kind of like Jake, where like Jake was a he was a badass heel. The fans turned him, uh, yeah. and but you know when he was a baby face, he was still doing heel shit, like you know pulling a snake out of a bag and degrading a guy after you <laughs> yeah, beat him. It was yeah. a pretty heel move, but he did yeah. it all the time. Yeah, but by that time he had. He had endeared himself to the crowd. Yep. Now, now the fans were wanting to see him put the snake on somebody. <laughs> you know, put that snake on that heel. Man, it's good stuff. Uh, Alex Littleton is up next. If you could be a wrestler in your prime in any era, which era would you choose and who would you feud with? So, Ted, a lot of folks will ask you who you would wrestle from today's wrestling. But what if you could wrestle anybody from absolutely any era? Oh my gosh! You know, um, I'm trying to think of somebody that I uh, admired enough, but never really got the chance to work with them. Um, uh, you know, that's hard. You know, you know, like one of the guys. Uh, well, okay, this way, I only had one match with Ricky Steamboat. That's it. But Ricky Steamboat was one of the best performers I ever worked with. I, I would have loved to have had an ongoing storyline with Ricky Steamboat because he was so good. He just he was, was that was that good. Uh, but I'm just you know I, I you know, if I think of something I'll I'll regurgitate it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like names that jump off to me, you know, would be guys like as you said from kind of like the older generation, like a guy like. Like, did you ever work with Killer Kowalski or uh, Danny Hodge or anybody like that? Well, no, I never worked with Kowalski, but I did wrestle Danny Hodge. How was that? And uh, oh, Danny was great. I mean, <laughs> here's the thing. I mean, Danny Hodge, legitimately. I mean, he had 
I mean, you know, you know the thing about Danny Hodge. You give him yes. a, 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 an apple, and he can crush it in his hands. Give him a, a brand new pair of pliers, and he can snap them. <laughs> I mean, he had he had, he had this unbelievable strength, and they said something about uh, extra tendons or something in his wrist. Yep. But I mean, you know, it wasn't a work. It was it was legit. You know, and so I, you know, like. You know, uh, you know, he, he's a guy that I, I, I got to work with, uh, but, but, uh, <laughs> I was, was kind of like, you know, he's the one guy you don't want to piss off. <laughs> <laughs> and he wasn't a huge guy either. Was he? No, he wasn't. He wasn't very big and he was an, a, a national amateur champion in wrestling. That's a bad dude. Oh Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and when you looked, if you, when you looked at Danny Hodge, you'd say, "Oh man, that guy couldn't break a stick." Yeah, well, he could break your arm. <laughs> Boy, if he snatched you up, you'd be in yeah. a lot of trouble. And what's cool is there's footage out there. I think it's on YouTube of him, even as like an older man. Somebody hands him hands him an apple, and he just pulps it. And it's like this old guy just like he just grabs an apple and just yeah. obliterates it. It's like, oh my gosh, and one of the guy. one of the nicest guys you'd ever meet too. You know, yep. thank God. Um, all right. So actually, Hugh Chambers has got a related question that I put here. So we'll see if uh, there's another kind of uh, related answer here. He says, what's a match Ted had that fans might be surprised to know about? So, Ted, as we discussed, you've worked with guys from over the years, many different eras, um, all kinds of different walks of life. So. <laughs> Do any in particular stand out as especially interesting? Like, did you wrestle somebody that maybe fans would be surprised to hear about, like a Buddy Rogers or somebody like that? Okay. Um, do you, okay, remember J.J. Dillon? Yeah. Okay, J.J. Dillon, I mean, most fans remember him as a manager. Yes. Correct? But the first time I saw J.J. Dillon, he was a wrestler. And, uh, and, and, and he was a heel and he was, and he was a heck of a heel. And I probably had one of my very first matches in this, this little bit, kind of a little side angle with, with him in, in, in a place called San Angelo. I was, I was a referee and, you know, I was refereeing a match between him and, uh, somebody and, and, and Terry and Dory Funk Jr. And, uh, uh, they did, they did, you know, I, you know, like, I, you know, the funks win and, 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 uh, and they leave and then Dylan goes off on me and, and then, uh, you know, that now I'm going to get in the ring with this guy, you know, uh, one-on-one -on -one. and, you know, uh, that was pretty scary thing, but I mean, you know, he was so good in terms of, you know, like I had just been a referee. I grew up in the business, but, you know, and, and, and respected the business so much. It's like, you know, the last thing I want to do is screw up. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, he, he guided me through a match. We had a match and it ended up where the, the funks, you know, you know, came out to my aid and you know, it left me looking good and it didn't take any heat off him. You know, it actually put more heat on him. So, but yeah, he was, he was one of those guys that, most people only ever knew him as a manager, but you know, you know, back in those days when I first started in the business in 75, 74, 75, 
you know, JJ, JJ Dillon was like, a, he was kind of like a, like a cowboy. How about that? Yeah. <clears throat> Interesting to picture him as a cowboy, but not, you know, I've heard uh, from a, a couple guys, maybe I, I want to say Aaron Anderson said that he's one of the greatest bump takers you've ever seen. He, yeah. he said, even when he was a manager, he was just a bumping machine. Yeah. Yeah. And, a great, and 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 on a on the same and a great guy, you know. I mean, personality just great. Higher primate is up next. He says, <laughs> "What do you think are the top worst real injuries that you have seen during your wrestling career?" So not necessarily that you got, but that you've witnessed. Oh my gosh. Um, I, you know, it's, it's, it's like nothing comes to mind. So I obviously didn't it didn't ever see anything that was so horrible. It was, in, you know, you know, entrenched in my mind forever. Um, you never saw anybody kind of get their arm rolled over on or <laughs> their knee or anything awful like that? Um, you know, I just can't. No, I can't. You know, I'm sorry, guys. I can't think of any. Hey, that's a good thing, man. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good thing, yeah. <laughs> you don't need to be seeing any scarring shit while you're out there just trying to work. Um, have you ever seen the footage of Sid breaking his leg in WCW? This would have been in early 2001. Was I there? You were not with the company anymore, um, but I mean, this is one of those videos. It's, it's so nasty that it's it's made the rounds on the internet forever. Um, well, okay, okay. You know what? I have seen that, but I wasn't there to see it. Okay, you saw. I, that you know, I, I have, I, I have seen the footage, and it's like, oh, that's ugly. Oh gosh, what easily the worst injury I've ever seen in the ring. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I've watched an awful lot of wrestling footage. Yeah. Holy smokes, man! Just awful. Um, all right, the Mauv Maniac asks: Did WWE ever think of putting you and Mister Perfect together as a team? That would, that would have been a great team. Um, I don't know. I don't. That was never discussed. Man, that could have worked. Yeah, that would that that, that could have been a good team. Do you know if you ever stepped like even when he was Kurt Hennig? Did you ever step in the ring with him or never? No. no. Wow. No. Yeah, and uh, but oh yeah, I mean, like me though, uh, a special bond only because you know we 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 we're, you know again. You know, like uh, two guys who both came from a wrestling family. You know, like Henny, Jake, and I can't think of anybody else right off the top of my head. Uh, Romero. You remember the Romeros? Uh, the name rings a bell. Yeah. Now, there was a now, Ricky Romero was a very famous Mexican wrestler in Amarillo, but he is like, he just stayed there. He, he never left Amarillo. And because of that, I mean, as good as he was, uh, you know, he just didn't want to move, uh, you know, but going somewhere else would have made him more money and what have you, but he just stayed in Amarillo. And, you know, he was a good looking guy and he had sons that followed him, but the one, his one son that followed him, his name was Steve. And Steve and I were friends. As a matter of fact, I think the first couple of times I got in the ring and started to 
learned how to take bumps and stuff. I was with Steve in Amarillo and actually there's uh, the, the sports arena where they held the wrestling matches. That's, you know, and until the, the only time that it wasn't specifically for wrestling was when the fair came to town and they would move the ring out of there and they would put stuff in there. But the rest of the time, uh, you know, the Emerald sports arena was, you know, cause that ring was permanent. It was up all the time. And so we, we went in there a couple of times with nobody else in the, in it or around. And I started learning how to take the bumps and stuff with Steve. How about that? Yeah. Now, uh, I did want to ask you too about Kurt Hennig, you know, because he's hailed as one of those guys who's just this incredible ring technician. You know, I've heard you mention Ricky Steamboat and Bret Hart as being these guys that are, you know, just next level guys you would have loved to have had a program with. Yeah. If you had to choose one of the three program with uh, Hennig, Hart or Steamboat, who's your selection? Probably Steamboat. Wow. Yeah. Probably Steamboat. He was just that good. I mean, uh, I mean, I watching him and I watched him. I admired his work, you know, like as a guy, you know, you know, watching another wrestler, I, I admired his work from afar. And then when we actually had that opportunity, I mean, I mean, we tore the house down. We didn't go out there and, you know, it was kind of like, even today, it's like, and I, I don't want to take anything away from, you know, I mean, there, there, there are some guys, and I haven't really, because I don't watch regularly, and, 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 I, and I don't because I get upset, uh, because it's so poor. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, it's, uh, but there, there, are, there, there are a couple of guys, you know, now coming, coming along that, you know, that, that show a lot of potential. Um, you know, um, and, and they're, they're the top guys, but here's my point. When I watch the guys, these guys on TV, it's, it's not a story like we told stories. You know what I'm saying? It was, it was like every match was a story. Uh, you know, it might be a short story, but it was a, a story nonetheless. Now I just see, I mean, I see guys just getting in the ring and bouncing all over the ring. I mean, taking a turnbuckle and, you know, backdrop and give up, you know, and they, and they, and they go backwards out of the ring over the top rope and they hit the floor and they, and they jump up like a, uh, like a bunny, like nothing's happened to them. They get back in the ring. If that's not going to hurt you, then how can the fans believe that somebody's finishing maneuver is going to hurt you? Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and so it's just, it, it's, the guys look more like more like they're having a a tumbling match. You know, uh, hearing you talk about Steamboat also made me think about he and Ric Flair had these classic matches in 1989 with WCW, and man, it's it would have been really cool to see you in a position to have a series of matches with Steamboat and build yeah. a story with him. Well, and and again, you know, and I, you know, and Rick, you know, <laughs> Rick and I. Uh, only got to wrestle each other a couple of times, and I, and uh, I think I think at one uh, one time I know he was the NWA World Champion. Uh, I know you guys worked in Mid South. Worked in Mid South, and I uh, think we we did an hour Broadway. You know, I mean, he was the champ, and I was the the you know the top guy 
uh, and I don't even know, I don't know if I was a baby face then or not. Uh, but you know, him being, yeah, I probably was a baby face because usually the only place that the NWA champion was a baby face was in his home territory, mm-hmm. like Dory Funk Jr. and Terry, you know, in all the other territories, they were heels. But when they were back in the Amarillo territory, they were, they were baby faces and they would work with the top heel. Man, well, one of these days we're gonna watch the uh, Ric Flair match here on the on the show, and it's yeah, I'm sorry I forgot to mention Rick. I mean, oh my gosh, are you kidding? Uh, yeah, I mean he's right up there with Steamboat. Yeah, uh, yeah. something special, absolutely, absolutely. Well, if you want to give your significant other something special, you've got to check out Blue Chew. Uh, let's take a minute to discuss these guys because, brother, they are where it's at. Are you ready to perform with the confidence of the million-dollar man in the bedroom? Are you ready to leave your partner feeling like a million bucks? You ready to get that rascal so hard you could go hunting with it? If the answer to those questions is yes, it's time for you to give Blue Chew a try. Blue Chew can help you increase your performance and regain that old confidence where it counts. Ted, uh, how important is confidence uh, when you're performing? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about your ring work. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. About. Well, in both cases, it's very important. You know, Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so that you can plan ahead or be ready when the opportunity arises. <laughs> if you will. Especially the process when is the opportunity arises. <laughs> if you will. That's my best Dusty I can do. Oh, my gosh. Guys, the process is simple. You just sign up at BlueChew.com. You consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. And the best part, it's all done online. So you can forget about those visits to the doctor's office. No awkward conversations. No waiting in line at the pharmacy. They come to you. BlueChew's tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package. But there won't be anything discreet about your package. Men everywhere have never been more excited to see their mail carrier arrive because when your package has arrived, your package has arrived. (laughs) Listen, I know what your next question is going to be. Will it actually work? Why don't you try it for free and find out for yourself? Something free from the Million Dollar Man? That's right. And you can try it right now for free. All you have to do is pay $5 shipping. Place your order now and give your partner a very pleasant surprise. Women are attracted to confidence, and Blue Chew can help give you confidence where it counts. Don't wait any longer. It's time to chew it and do it. Take advantage of our special deal. (laughs) Again, you can try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code EGAP at checkout. That's just $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com, promo code EGAP to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. All right, with that, we're back in action, Ted. Oh, my gosh. Uh, That was stiff. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I should have been doing these reads with you earlier. That's a good one. Um, All right. Ad-free shows researcher and my friend Andrew Hermes has two questions. Uh, Whose idea was it to change the outfitting of the Million Dollar Man, meaning from the traditional black and white and green suits? Can you tell us about the designer? You know, they... uh, they had one suit made for me and it was, 
it was okay, but I mean, it, was, it wasn't, it wasn't really well done, but it had all of the ingredients. I mean, of, of the look, you know, big dollar sign on the back and everything. But I found somebody else. I found somebody local and, and, and showed them what I had and told them what I wanted. And the next, the next suits, you know, and, and everything after that looked really good. And I think, you know, I had a, I had, I had black and gold. I had, uh, uh, a green and whatever. Uh, I even think I had a, uh, a silver. silver. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and the white one, which I think you saw uh, yeah, in your yeah. position, right? I had a white, yeah, white and gold one. And, uh, I wore, you know, I wore it at, uh, when we did Wembley. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I can't remember wearing it too much because, you know, it's kind of like, it was a really good looking suit, but you know, bad guys, bad guys don't look good in white. <laughs> ah, that's true. That's true. I never even put that together. Yeah. Um, and actually they just released a new action figure of you in the white suit, um, which is uh, go and pick one up and bring it to Ted. He'll sign it for you. One of his signings. <laughs> Um, and Ted, when you first arrived with the WWF and they say like, hey, yeah, here's here's a suit. You're going to be wearing this to the ring, probably taking bumps in it occasionally, stuff like that. How did you feel about it? Were you like, oh, man, I got to wear a hot suit in this? Uh, well, I mean, the, the deal about the suit was the only time I, you know, it's like I wore it. You know, it was kind of like a uh, instead of like a ring jacket, I had a ring suit. Mm -hmm. You know, and I would I would wear that in into the ring, you know, and, they, you know, the deal was. You know, Virgil was always there, and he he would take the, you know, the, the top coat off. You know, and, and I had the, and the front was not a, it wasn't a full shirt. It was just like a, just around the neck, and I, I'd, I'd pop that off, and then he would take the, you know, the, uh, the front, you know, and the pants were, were were hemmed all the way down, and so he would just pop pop the pants off of me too. So there I was. My <laughs> <laughs> tights on with great big dollar signs on them. Boy, that would have been the spot for the blue chew ad right there. <laughs> did you have to travel with this suit as well? Oh yeah, it went everywhere I did, and I I I got to where I could pack it, and the material was made out. It was was flexible enough that you know it, you know it wouldn't stay, uh, you know, like wrinkled. If you gotcha. Will. Okay. And so it wasn't, it wasn't that hard. I just, you know, uh, packed it in a big bag. Now, like, you know, you're, you're in, wearing this suit and you, you're not wearing a shirt. So I'd imagine that you sweat into this thing. How often were you getting it clean? How did you get well, it? Well, I mean, no, I mean, all I did to, you know, obviously whatever I had on the road and at any given time, I wore it every night to the ring, just like a guy would wear his ring jacket. Yeah. You no, know, the suit was my, like my ring jacket, you know? And so then after like back when we were doing, uh, when it got to be 10 on three off four on three off, well, every time I'd go home, you know, I would, I would, I would send one to the cleaners and I would take a different one with me. Uh, Andrew's got another question. He said, do you believe there was a time in your career when you were a better heel than when you worked with Hogan? If so, when and where was it? Or was your your best heel work? Do you feel it was when you were feuding with Hogan? Uh, 
I mean, working with Hogan, I mean, you know, I, you know, I, I adapted to his style and that's what a good heel does. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I couldn't have a Ricky Steamboat match with Hulk Hogan. Uh, and because of his persona and all of that, um, you know, I worked his fashion and, and I worked, you know, um, and had no trouble with him. And he, and, and he really enjoyed working with me as well. Uh, because I, you know, that, that was it. It's kind of like, uh, um, I would get really good heat on him. I would, I would, you know, obviously put put over all his strength and power out and all that stuff at the beginning of the match, and then I would cut him off and 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 get get real good heat on him, and then you know let him start hulking up, as they call it, and make mm-hmm. them come back on me and beat me. A good heel was it was it had to be capable of adapting to whoever he's working with. You know, now, and I never had to have a match with Andre the Giant. You know, I mean, Andre and I ended up being, uh, he was my tag team partner. Now, I will say this, as a, as a okay, me and Andre, we're, we're, the, we're, we're a heel team. But in the course of a match, because Andre is who he was, and he was so big, well, who was going to take most of the bumps? Me. Yep. Who was going to do most of the flying around the ring? You know, when, when it came to the baby faces doing their big comeback, that would have to be me. And, uh, and, and, and that was okay with me because I, I was Andre's partner and I was getting paid very well for that. Pretty good spot to be in getting a team up with Andre. Yeah. Um, and, you know, certainly better than working against him, especially you as a heel, because it's how do you get heat on a guy that's that size? That's a hell of a challenge. Yeah, but but again, to to Andre's credit, I have seen him in matches where where um, where he he did, and and he could sell. You know, it was kind of like you would get him. You know, you would put over all of his power and and stuff, and you know, like you lock up with him, and he just shoves you off like a fly. And you hit the turnbuckle, and and then you come back and you try it again, and he just you know. And uh, you you know and, and it's like you get it you back up in the corner and and the referees just break and you know him and, and then you try to turnbuckle him and he won't even come out of the turn and then and then he takes you and reverses it you go into the end of the turnbuckle and you come back out and he hits you with a big clothesline or backdrop or whatever you, you know you eventually uh, do something where you know. Uh, he goes to throw you a, a clothesline and you duck under it and, and come behind him and hit him like hit him like at the bend of his knee from behind. Well, that makes him go to a knee. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now he's the giant, but he's down on one knee. And then you get him, you know, get him to where he's on both of his knees. Now he's on his knees and, and, and because he's Andre the giant, you're not exactly, you know, face to face, but you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now you now you got him in a position where you can know. Now you can do something to him. You've got him vulnerable. Yeah. Interesting. Oh. Ted, did you ever hear the whole thing about Vince 
not wanting to call it pro wrestling on TV he, or, or call his workers wrestlers. He always referred to them as sports entertainers or superstars, and he would call the product uh, sports entertainment. So yeah, have you heard of that? And what do you make of it? Yeah, that's that that's that's the way he was. And uh, you know, he he always wanted wanted to be something like more acceptable. It's kind of like wrestling is the bastard child of the entertainment industry, mm-hmm. right? Oh, wrestling, you know, circus act, right? Yeah. Well, no. You know, and that's what Vince was trying to do was make wrestling more acceptable. And that's why he went and said, you know, don't call it this, don't call it that. You know, uh, it's a sports entertainment. Now, uh, the other thing about Vince that I've been hearing is that uh, whenever somebody is on commentary and Vince would be on the headset, if he heard you use a pronoun, refer to a wrestler as he or him or her, uh, he did not like it. He wanted you to call them. Like, if you're calling a match with Razor Ramon, you say Razor Ramon uh, getting covered by Shawn Michaels. You don't say, oh, Shawn Michaels is covering him. You know what I mean? Uh, Oh, yeah. Hear that? Yeah. Oh yeah, and 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 I and I get that, you know, like he's doing this or that. No, no, who's doing that? You know, got to be specific. Yeah, I I kind of get it too. And look, you know, yeah. a lot of people criticize it and say, "Oh, Vince hates wrestling, and he doesn't like that he's involved in wrestling. He wants to make it something else." However, it's he did make it something else. He made it one of the biggest entertainment properties in the world. So, well, thank you. Exactly, yeah. he did make it something. You know, it was kind of like, uh, and. You know, and, and I and I thought about that myself. I said, you know, where would if Vince had not come along and, and did what he did, you know, I, I think a pro wrestling would have died because there is so many other things competing for the entertainment dollar. Vince made wrestling into something that was you know bigger than life. He did. And, you know, I think a lot of people hear that and they're like, I wouldn't have died. The territories would have continued. Well, what would have happened, do you think, in the 90s uh, instead of getting that giant boom that we got in pro wrestling where, you know, merchandise was everywhere. Everybody got to see it all the time. It was, you know, guys were getting movie work, stuff like that. Now you're talking about regional territories. I think they would have died off. I think people would have lost. Yeah, exactly. That's and, and, and that's what would have happened. Um, kid you not. That's what would have happened. That that's where wrestling would have gone because, you know, you know, back in that, you know, again when I got into wrestling, it'd be you know, like, okay, you were you were getting you were getting to be where you had more. I like I, my first uh, uh, memory of uh, of television. There were three channels: ABC, NBC, and CBS, and those were the only three channels you had. And then later, uh, you got a few more channels. But now, oh my gosh! I mean, <laughs> it's like Katie bar the door, you know, select what you want. But but again, you know, in in the scheme of things, where would wrestling have landed in there? Hard to say. It may yeah, not have. Been. It was you know, it, it, it was kind of like uh, you know, it's. And, and, and when you look back at, when you go and you look at some of the, like the, the taped wrestling shows that we did in studios and compare that to the shows Vince put on, 
where, you know, you've got a Coliseum full of fans instead of, uh, uh, like there's, there's two rows of, uh, there's two sets of bleachers. You got to, and the camera's over here and, 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 and all your fans are in, in, uh, those two sets of bleachers. Yep. Yeah. You know, there, there's maybe, maybe, uh, 70 or a hundred people in the stu- in this little studio when you're doing your TV show. Well, that that would have died. It'd have been gone. No question. No question. I think a good way to look at what wrestling would have become without, if it had not become a big uh, part of mainstream entertainment, is uh, look at the circus. You know, the circus used to be a really big thing back in the day, where families would plan around it and they would go out and see it. And yep, circuses still exist and they're still a thing. They're not anywhere near as big as they used to be because now you get to see that stuff on TV. Uh, you can see animals on TV or on YouTube or whatever. Um, I think that, it, you know, it, yep, wrestling would probably still exist, but it wouldn't be making any money and it would be very, very small and very yeah. sporadic as to when and how you could see it. Yeah. Well, and and uh, I, I guess I would liken that to some of these indie show, independent wrestling organizations. There's, there, there's, I don't know how many there are, but I mean, you know, you know, somebody goes out and buys a ring and gets a bunch of guys and all of a sudden sudden he's promoting wrestling when he doesn't when he doesn't personally know uh, what the hell he's doing <laughs> right right and uh, that's and the little, other thing yeah it, little little shows like that no. <laughs> and yeah it's uh, the popularity of the wwf helped independent wrestling because look yeah. I, I don't think a lot of kids are asking their parents to go see independent wrestling unless they're getting really entertained by hulk hogan and these yeah. guys Right. You know, so, boy, it could have been a whole different world. Vince McMahon has certainly got a lot of faults, as we've discussed here. But, uh, you know, it's he he changed the the world of wrestling. He did. He did. He he certainly did that. All right. Billy Davies is up next. Uh, Everybody wants to say Flair or HBK. But who does Ted think is the greatest in ring worker of all time? Oh, my gosh. That's a huge question. So much ground to cover. Flair or HBK? Everybody always says it's those two, but you know, I don't know. It's uh, there's there's a lot to select from. Was there ever a guy that you saw that you're like, now that's you know, yeah. uh, I don't think there's any one guy that you could say, okay, he, he's the goat. He's mm-hmm. you know, there's there's none like him. I mean, I think there are several. And I think, I think, again, I think, I think Ric Flair is in that, in that, I think that Ricky Steamboat is in that. Um, and, uh, what was, uh, Shawn Michaels, Shawn Michaels certainly was, uh, was, 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 was part of that. And a lot of that too is uh, the time frame of when they were wrestling and who were they were wrestling and how strong their characters became. Um, um, uh, okay, Bret Hart, again, yeah. another guy who, like me, you know, um, I don't know if anybody put me in there, but uh, I have a lot of people. I mean, I, I do a lot of Comic-Cons and stuff like that, and then uh, they, every day they come up, Ted, you were the greatest, one of the greatest deals of all time. Yep. I said, well, thank you very much, and I appreciate it. So, uh, I, But I don't think you can – there's so many – there's just uh, and there's that that'd be like saying who's who's the greatest football player of all time who's the goat there's not I mean it's like 
I mean, okay, uh, quarterbacks. Oh, my gosh, I can name you four or five of them right off the top of my head that are, you know, yep. Joe Montana, uh, Roger Staubach. Uh, let's go. Who else? Tom, Tom Brady. Tom yeah. Brady, you know. I, I think it depends they're on your all, perspective. Too. All <laughs> it depends on your perspective, too, because, yeah. yep, Tom Brady's, Tom Brady's maybe the greatest quarterback of all time with winning championships and stuff, but maybe that's not what you view as what's great. Maybe somebody like Lawrence Taylor is the greatest of all time yeah. to you because you yeah. view getting sacks and playing really incredible yeah. defenses being right. it. You know, so, yeah, it's, it's all a matter of perspective. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Johnny Kirsch, I think is how you say it, is up next. Did Ted ever work with Dutch Mantel? What did he think of him? Dutch Mantel, you know, uh, I might have worked with him one time. And I can't even remember where it was, but it was good. We, I mean, we 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 had we had a decent match. It wasn't like a, you know, it wasn't a Katie Bar, you know, bar the door, burn the burn the house down or whatever. But it was okay, you know, and I think he was, you know, he was, he was, he was, he was a good character. I mean, had the big, the big mustache and he almost, what was that? He almost looked like the cartoon character. Oh, like Yosemite Sam. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He does. And yeah, capable worker. Yeah. I'm sure you did fine out there with him. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, we've got another uh, greatest question, a uh, pretty common one. I don't, I don't know if you've answered it on the show here yet. Jake B asks, who's the greatest tag team of all time and why? Anybody stand out for you, Ted? Oh, shoot. Again, there's so many. It's a matter of perspective, right? Yeah, it, it, it is a matter of perspective. Um, uh, you know, Mike Rotunda and I, you know, we really weren't uh, together long enough. I mean, we, I mean, we, you know, we, we were a, a tag team and we were uh, world wrestling entertainments that uh, tag team champions for a while. But, um, you know, um, I don't think that's the, the, like the greatest accomplishment of my career is not, you know, and I don't, and, and again, you know, Mike and I are good, good friends to this day. And I think we were a good team, but I don't think, you know, you know, we, okay. I'll, I'll tell you, I team I put in there, the Freebirds. There you go. And they were together a long time. Yeah. Uh, for a long time. I mean, um, you know, um, you know, I mean, I think they, I think, I think that combination started with mid South, you know, Michael Hayes and, and, uh, Buddy Roberts and, uh, Bam Bam. And bam, bam, yeah, uh, yeah, they were fun, and they they operate under Freebird rules too, which means you don't know which one, which pairing you're gonna get if you get into a tag team match with them, yeah. which it was always yeah. a really cool concept. Yeah, um, yeah. but yeah, no, it's you know a lot of people like to point to like the Hart Foundation or uh, Arn and Tully. Uh, a lot of people say the Road Warriors, who are not exactly technicians out there. Well, yeah, and, and, and well, and, well, again, based on their success, they were, you know. Uh -huh. they, uh, they were good, but yeah, that that the team you just mentioned, uh, Arn and Tully, what was that? The the Four Horsemen. Yeah, and then they came to the WWF as the Brainbusters for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those guys were great. Man, uh, probably my favorite, my personal favorite tag team, Arn and Tully, just because I mean they were just technical marvels out there. They were just fun to watch. Yeah, oh, I, I'll give you a big tag team, Stan Hansen and Ted DiBiase. There you go. Now that's a hell of a tag team. Yeah, and we were the uh, 
we were the uh, All Japan Pro Wrestling World Tag Team Champions. You know, that's one that a lot of fans bring up and they say, when are you going to talk about Stan and Ted? And, you know, look, I'm trying to do like a slow build up to this thing because it's awesome. And <laughs> I want to watch all of it. I don't want to give away all the great shit right out of the gate. So we'll get there. Don't worry, folks. It's good. okay. Um, all right. Isaac Becker is up next. What did Ted think of Abdullah the Butcher? You get a lot of time around Abby. You know what? I I was around Abby uh, more, more in Japan than anywhere. Because yeah. Abby was a big name in Japan. And, uh, you know, of course, you know, a guy his size, uh, you know, there wasn't a whole lot he could do. But his psychology was very good. His understanding of, of, of wrestling was very, was very good. I mean, so based on what he knew his character was and how he could, what he could do and what he couldn't do, you know, he had it down pretty good. And and he, he made a lot of money in Japan. Yeah, he probably made more money in Japan than he did anywhere. Uh, Abdullah the Butcher was a big name in, in Japan. What did you think about all the gore and, like, the fork and, you know, the, the, the scars on his head? And, like, what, what was your take on all that? Well, I mean, you know, it was unique to him. Uh, but, you know, uh, getting the juice... Uh, was you say well, we everybody said you know red turns to green, the red turn the red to blood turns into green money, uh, and when you would you would build an event you know and things like that, you know like you can like, see them, I have little bitty scars that are still you can't see them anymore, but Abdullah, you know like you know we would you you would cut this way right because it goes with the lines in your forehead. Uh-huh. Abby went this way, up and down, and he mm. had this big blade on his, and he would just go, <laughs> and it's like it got to where he had, it looked like he had a crater in his head. <laughs> it, it did. It was, it was ugly. <laughs> but it was, it was Abby. It was, it was, it was him. And in uh, his era and in his way, uh, you know, he, he was a great performer. That finishes us up for today. We will roll the remaining questions over, and there's there's plenty left, so uh, we're going to have plenty to cover, but we want you to bring us more questions. Uh, again, you can send them to Ted on his social media. It's MDM Ted DiBiase on all platforms. Also, follow the podcast at Ted DiBiase pod on all platforms. You can ask your questions there, or again, you can DM me on Twitter at, at, at Marcus P. D'Angelo. Ted, I love doing these with you. It's always a blast. And uh, I'll look forward to talking to you again here next week, my friend. I can't wait. And uh, again, before I go, just uh, have to remind everybody that uh, everybody's got a price for the Million Dollar Man. <laughs> we'll see you guys next time right here on Everybody's Got a Pod.